This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Hall, What Every Parent Should Not Read. And our author, joining me from Connecticut, is Lost Lenny. That's his, uh, that's his pen name. Actually, his real name, Leonard Nicholas. Len, welcome to the program, sir. Uh, thank you very much. You have shared with me on a previous interview the unique and uh, fascinating reason you have used the pen name Lost Lenny. Would you share that for my audience one time, please? Well, um, the uh, the pen name was given to me by um, uh, a person in the North Country retreads, and apparently I was on a, a line of motorcyclists. And basically, what happened is um, I went left, and everybody went right. And from then on, they called me Lois <laughs> You have a background also as an educator. Some of your inspiration uh, takes place or has taken place in the uh, the uh, learning environment. You've been retired a while, a while. The Hall. You have as a subtitle, What Every Parent Should Not Read. Why right. did you use that title, and what's the inspiration behind the story? Okay. Um, in uh, 1965, and uh, also part of 1966, I was a freshman in college. And during that time, I was uh, uh, in Oswego State University, and um, I was on the third floor of Moreland Hall. And it seemed like the people that I was with, each person was very, very unique in their own way. And when we all got together... We used to do some outlandish things like play um, hockey. Uh, uh, actually, we played with a um, hockey puck, but uh, we didn't hit it with a, uh, a hockey stick. We threw it at each other. Oh, boy. And you'd have a team of about, uh, oh, six, seven guys at either end of the hall, and we'd be throwing this hockey puck at each other. Incredible. And as a result, you know, in between bruises and accidents and things like that, we got to become very, very, very close. And um, we used to go out to bars together, and we uh, would go downstairs and eat together, and we came became a very, very close group of people. And um, I really hadn't thought about that until... Uh, Oh, a year or two ago, and then I started to write a book about it, and um, I was amazed that I survived through the whole thing. <laughs> but you know, you were young back then, and you think you could do anything. And as a result, you know, um, things weren't nearly as uh, desperate or, or perilous as uh, they might as, as assume or be today. Uh, you managed to write uh, or or pen four hundred and fifty six pages about that amount uh, for the book, The Hall. Uh, that's a fairly ambitious bit of work. Did you draw all of your stories from your time in college? Yes, I did. And you, re- and you remembered all of those harrowing tales that uh, were a part of the college life? 
You know, it's funny. Your mind is an amazing thing. And if you have your mind set on something, you'd be surprised what information you can uh, come up with. And if you just simply think about it, if you have enough time to think about something, uh, you can draw any conclusion. You can uh, come up with anything you desire to do. Uh, the, ma- the mind is an amazing thing. You've become a, what I would call a fairly prolific writer. You enjoy the author uh, concept, uh, the author process. You have written several books. This one, uh, how long did it take, Lynn, to complete the hall? Um, generally, it takes me about seven months to uh, do a book. And, did, and uh, it took me about seven months to complete the uh, complete the whole. Seven months. And when you began to write this, did you sit down and uh, design an outline of the stories that you wanted to uh, to tell in fictional format, or how did you go about writing it? Well, I, probably I should have, you know. <laughs> but what happened is I just simply sat down and wrote as things came to my mind. And uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that process. And um, I'm doing the uh, my present book right now the same way. Um, and uh, I just simply sit down and write. You talk about freshman years in college and the other uh, fascinating things that happen to young people when they're in the educational environment. What of the stories that you allude to in your book would be the most either shocking or most enjoyable for the reader? Well, I think the most enjoyable for the reader was um, what we used to do in the hall, okay? Uh, You know, of course, that's what the book is uh, entitled, The Hall, and uh, and the uh, hockey puck uh, uh, games that we had in the hall, they were a lot of fun. And, um, of course, there are people from the other parts of the dorm who were scared stiff to go into our hall because they were afraid of getting hit with something. And um, and it kind of uh, increased our notoriety throughout the building. Now you changed the names in the book to protect the guilty, I think. Uh, any of those uh, individuals, have they had a chance to read your recollection or your your story, The Hall? Not that I know of, okay? We've all gone our separate ways, and um, uh, Calvin Murdoch, uh, as far as I know, uh, he's working for Electric Boat, or was working for Electric Boat, um, uh, building submarines, Mm. and in, in exactly what capacity, I do not know, but... We've all gone our separate ways. Some have been teachers, uh, uh, some have been salesmen, some have been done this or done that. Um, but uh, in our own way, I guess each person was quite successful. How, and you say it took about seven months to, to complete your work. Uh, who do you think is going to find this a fun read, one that they'll want to put in their library? Well, I would think just about anybody. Um, I uh, wrote it um, to uh, appeal to any adult, whether they be uh, male or female. 
because I think there are things there that they could relate to. Lynn, take a couple of paragraphs and introduce this book to my listening audience. I just simply, uh, I just simply talk about it. You know, I'd say it was. Uh, you, want to, you know, we would like to read a fun read. Um, it was written from the heart, and uh, and um, everything is basically um, based on uh, on true stories that have happened to me. And I think it's an interesting read, and it's meant to entertain. I'm not trying to make any profound statements or um, make a point. I'm just trying to entertain the, the reader. Any memorable characters that pop out in the story of the hall? Oh, yeah, Calvin Murdoch. Um, you know, and then, of course, is uh, Lester Nielsen, who's, uh, uh, well, he was me, okay? <laughs> and um, I, really, I really enjoyed these people. And um, I enjoyed uh, creating them and, and talking about them because they're based on the real people. This is quite a while ago that you attended uh, university or college in uh, upstate New York. Were there challenges in bringing all those stories back to life? Well, I think the challenge is, um, you know, sometimes you'll think about something and your mind will go blank. You know, it'll just stop working. And I think that's a major challenge, is just simply uh, coming up with these uh, memories and try to get as much detail about them and get them right and get them in the right order. And um, that was quite a challenge. But I'm glad to say that I did it. For anyone who has attended college or been away from home and uh, enjoyed the antics and the adventures of being in a university or college environment, this will be a fun read for them. In fact, I've got a college reunion coming up in the next uh, month, and I I still have a very close relationship, at least emotionally, with the folks I went to school with. So I can understand the appeal of your book. Where do we get copies of your book? You can get them from Author House. Uh, Ex Libris uh, Publishing is another one. Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon.com. Um, I think they have um, they have com- uh, they have um, copies. Uh, you know, and of course, if you got a computer, just write into search uh, search engine the whole by Leonard Nicholas or Lost Lenny. And your other books are also printed under the pen name Lost Lenny. So if my listeners are trying to get a hold of you and catch up with some of the other wonderful stories you tell, you tell about Levittown and other places that are part of your past and share them in a fictional format, love to to also suggest they do so. Uh, do you have a website yet, Lynn? Uh, I have a website, but it doesn't seem to be working, and I, I've got to uh, work it out with Ex Libris and see what's happening. I sent, In fact, I sent them an email today to ask them why is it, it isn't working. So I would tell you what the, uh, the uh, website is, but uh, I don't really want to because I'm not really sure if it's, if it's working or it would work for the reader. Uh, Leonard Nicholas, 
Renaissance yes. man. You also uh, are involved in motorcycles and in uh, automobile restoration, plus a prolific author. Thank you for sharing your story about this particular book, The Hall, What Every Parent Shouldn't, shouldn't Read. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Leonard Nicholas, also known as Lost Lenny, has been my guest. Thank you, sir. And thank you very, very much for calling. My pleasure for Author House and Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look at the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Hello and welcome to the Author House Line today. I'm Clint Yates. It's a journey, a book of an ordinary guy coming back from war, doing extraordinary things to cope with life itself and to make the best he can for himself. The name of the book is Becoming Joey Fizz, and joining us today on the Author House Line is the writer of that book, Stuart McKeever. Stuart, thanks for being with us today. Oh, I'm very happy for the invitation, a chance to chat with you about uh, about about the book. Uh, thank you. It uh, was a fascinating journey creating uh, the fiction uh, for this book, which uh, I, I felt uh, is is a it, while it's a journey book, a period book. It's also uh, the the story of the struggle of a young man coming back from the Korean War who needs to find his place in the universe and to and to thread the needle <clears throat> um, through events governing his life from family to external events to uh, to poignancy in dealing with um, uh, two of his war buddies uh, one was killed and the other blinded but he goes out of his way to uh, uh, honor uh, his deceased buddy's uh, wishes which um, took him to a, a uh, Blackfeet Native American Reservation in Montana, and he also uh, uh, escorted uh, a blinded uh, buddy of his to Yosemite National Park, uh, uh, fulfilling a dream that his his buddy wanted ever since he was a, a boy. I mean, the, the blinded buddy. So he finds uh, reflection on his part because he's struggling with the trauma of war, the remembrance of war. He's a young young man. He joins the army right after high school in honor of his brother who was um, shell-shocked at Enzio, 
World War II, so he wants to honor his brother, but then along comes the, the termination of the Korean War, leaving him emotionally stranded, psychologically damaged. He wasn't wounded, but how does he move on with his life to find his place in the universe? So uh, that's the struggle, and, and the, the, fizz, the Joey Fizz, that is a nickname he was uh, given when he moved out to uh, Hollywood uh, uh, to uh, he was a waiter he was a waiter in a restaurant and he had to get away from the mob connections of, uh, of his uncle and the pressures uh, that he faced there and he wanted to begin and start all over again so he he became a waiter uh, a maitre d and he uh, put on a show pouring the champagne for the Hollywood starlets and the bigwigs and and so uh, one evening uh, somebody said, "Boy, you put on some show. Uh, I think uh, I think we ought to call you Joey Fizz." <laughs> and so that's where the title came from. Wow. And uh, he goes to Las Vegas for a period of time. He realizes uh, that that is running on a roulette, uh, never getting off if you if you can't find your own dream and fulfill your own dream. So he wanted a place of his own. He wanted. Where would that be? How would he do that? And uh, so he had been made a promise to become a manager of a restaurant, which uh, never uh, materialized. So he he uh, he moves back to New York. Uh, he meets a uh, uh, a, a uh, dancer in Las Vegas who uh, who had a fractured neck and couldn't do dancing anymore. They fall in love, and eventually Joey marries her. But the ordinary side, meaning that Joey, Joey isn't a college graduate. He's not a professor. He's not a, a professional. He's a struggler, and he makes it through to have his own place. And it's uh, and, and and so uh, he has uh, a delicatessen. But as a period piece, uh, why I bring that up is is that uh, while no dates are mentioned in the book, you know Joey thinks about. You know what would frozen pizzas be like in a marketplace? What would so he's like being inventive, creative, and also uh, keeping at bay um, uh, the mobster connections that were always being dangled in front of him, um, and and so he um, he settles down. Uh, and he carries with him uh, a Native American peace pipe that was given to him as a gift. And at the end of the uh, book, uh, he finally opens up the packet uh, for the first time with his wife uh, and decides that they would share that peace pipe uh, in their own home. Um, and so life moves on, uh, moves on fr fr from there. So he goes back to his roots. He's uh, he's a young Italian uh, boy uh, raised on the upper uh, the, the upper Little Italy and mm -hmm. and uh, and so he uh, he basically honors uh, his roots in in his return and his struggle and uh, and finds his way. So uh, the the extraordinary thing uh you know applies to those that can make their way after a war after what they've seen and become unfrozen and realize uh, realize your dream um and that's why uh, the 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 flap in the book uh is uh, a a quote from Will Rogers you know why not go why not go out on the limb that's where the fruit is to fulfill a dream and uh, and Joey does that and I'm uh, 
uh, I'm uh, the story just began to unfold, mm-hmm. and and I um, I'm just uh, I'm glad the way it turned out. Yeah. Now you talked a little bit, Stu, about uh, Joey's time as a, a waiter. Does that I, looking at your material, some of the things we talked about earlier, you actually kind of got the idea from this story, right, from a waiter that you saw at a wedding reception? Is that right? That's correct. That is, that's right. I was uh, invited. Uh, <clears throat> this is oh, it's got to be at least ten years ago, uh, and I was invited to a, uh, a wedding in, in Connecticut. I was there by myself. It was a, it was the son of a very good friend of mine uh, that was getting married, and so I was sitting at a table and and I was hearing stories from uh, from this man. When I say stories, you know, generic material, and and he had been a waiter. And he had actually been a waiter out in uh, out in Hollywood back in uh, I guess fifties sixties, um, and uh, while he never you know talked about specifics or pouring champagne or anything like that, he just talked about the uh, the the action that was twenty four seven in in that arena and. Uh, on my, uh, uh, he, he was such a character. On my way home, I guess, uh, um, or on the plane, or wherever it was, and various trips I was taking across the country, still working on my uh, uh, my, my my second book the, that was a nonfiction book that was that was in the works. Uh, the the idea began to gel to tell. Uh, the story of of Joey uh, of Joey Fizz and uh, the honor uh, uh, that he was he was giving to his brother who was uh, shell shocked in, uh, in in Anzio World War II. Why I bring that up, Clint, um, is is that um, as any any um, editor would say, any professor, any 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 writer uh, uh, who's talking to other writers, you know, write what you know, and a whole um, uh, uh, wave, or wave after wave of, of experiences I witnessed, uh, mm-hmm. third party, third hand, or first hand, began to flow uh, into my mind, and I began to mold them into into this story. Um, it's not, so Joe, Joey's a real person, he's mm-hmm. not an artifice allowing me to tell my story it's joey's story but the power of uh of, of joey going to visit his shell-shocked brother in a veterans hospital uh he goes to visit him on a day uh in uh, new york city musicians union was uh, playing made they put on shows for at hospitals and things veterans hospitals and for the elderly and the sick and infirm and and and, and the lights go out uh, there was a power failure, and they're all sitting in the dark in the room, and nobody's moving, and the doctors come in, and the nurses come in, and there you have, and Joey's there, his brother, in, in, in the, in the, uh, in the silence, which is almost like the silence of death, because his brain was never gonna come back to work again. And so Joey wanted to make a difference in the lives of, of, uh, of other people, especially two of his buddies, and, and then also extricate himself from uh, the uh, pressures he was, um, he was receiving uh, from uh, his uh, mob-connected uncle and trying to keep away from, uh, from that uh, temptation, whether it be the rockets, whether it be 
whatever it is, and um, and so making his way, and that's what he did. Stu, so did much of this or any of this material come, just to let folks know, you're a longtime uh, attorney in the New York area and also have written a couple of other books about some really sensational, well, one about a sensational case, another about a, a very interesting life story of a, of a New York police officer who went to work at the White House. Did any of this background of yours, personal background, play a role in Joey Fizz? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and, and I, um, I got out of law school in 1962, and I became a public defender in New York City. I was a public defender with the Legal Aid Society as a criminal defense attorney. So I saw... Uh, firsthand um, uh, and 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 participated and and tried umpteen cases and saw and met with and lived when I say lived with meaning uh, um, you know we used to use the phrase you know let's let's go bounce tonight mm-hmm. where you'd go out not necessarily with a, a a defense counsel colleague you'd go out and bounce with the detectives who worked who worked on a case that you were trying to um uh, push against due process and make it work so that the uh, so the defendant had a chance had an opportunity had had uh, had the constitution working on their side and, and instead of simply on on, on the other side so I befriended some very, very uh, uh, good, good, good people, and uh, as a result of uh, those experiences, I ended up meeting uh, uh, the detective Anthony Ulazowicz, and I told who uh, became President Nixon's personal private eye. And Tony um, and I became very close, and he never asked me to write his life story, but he had a horrific experience uh, with the professional publishing world, um, um, and I won't go into that except that Mm -hmm. uh, after two years, the writer that was paid by the publishing house went off to Paris with his girlfriend, claimed he wrote three chapters uh i wrote the book but it burned in a fire and tony checked with interpol and there was no fire so i uh, felt the world missed the boat on a marvelous story they were all focused on watergate all focused on where's the smoking gun instead of focusing on where did this man come from and so he wanted to shine shoes as a as a as a nine-year-old boy and, and the ninth priest or eight-year-old boy and so he would sit outside and shine shoes of the cops and then he wanted to be a cop and and how that career you know grew and emerged and it's a fascinating career so the the lifeblood of that story uh, led me to the more complicated uh, foreign intrigue intelligence, the Galindas case, the disappearance kidnapping of a professor at Columbia University by Rafael Trujillo, um, and so I tracked that. But you had you had restrictions, Freedom of Information Act, CIA, FBI. So, mm-hmm. I mean, everything was under lock and key. Nobody was releasing. Uh, documents, and I'm the first one uh, in March of 2012 to examine 10,000 pages wow. of Justice Department and Internal Security uh, Department uh, documents that were that were uh, allowed to be made public. That's the first time. And this event happened in 1956. Mm-hmm. So. 
I'm a patient guy, Clint. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm patient. Like I'm, 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 <laughs> you know, I'm going to follow the trail. Yeah. And, and nobody's going to bump me off it, yeah. you know. Uh, I'm going to find as much as I can find and then write the story. And so Joey's story came along while I'm working on this other story. And and, and I felt that... that uh, uh, that in my mind's eye, I had I had a real person in my hands, in my creative hands, in my typing hands, and I wanted to make it real. And I wanted to make Joey's story important, not just symbolically, but important for others who are trying to find their way uh, through uh, a myriad of problems and encouraging uh, uh, that that it is possible to find your way. What if I just give a quick example? Sure. Is Joey goes to uh, uh, with his blind buddy to Yosemite National Park. He becomes um, his buddy's eyes, but in in so doing, he suddenly realizes that he has a place that he can go inside himself anytime he wants. If he wants to click on the memories of seeing the waterfall of the Yosemite, or the Green Valley, or the lakes. Or, or the the wildlife around, he can do that. So he, so he he acknowledges that his buddy Clay Clay Sullivan from Denver has basically given Joey another set of eyes, and they're inside him. So the the barriers that the war uh, experience creates to prevent uh, a, a, a another war, any soldier who's out there who's suffered, how do I how do I get on with my life? How do I get past um, uh, the monopoly board, uh, uh, red, uh, you know, block the barrier, and so Joey experiences this, and he begins to see that you know there's a way for him to live his his, uh, his own uh, his own life. Hmm. Again, the name of the book is Becoming Joey Fizz. On the line with us today is Stuart McKeever, the author of that book. Stu, where? Another book just came out, what, last month? Or I guess we're August now, so back in June. Where do we find the book? Okay, it's available on uh, Amazon, um, uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, it's available hard copy, soft copy, e-books. Uh, independent bookstores will uh, will, uh, will order it. Uh, and um, that's that. And AuthorHouse, um, uh, AuthorHouse.com's bookstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, one can also go online and and you know type type in uh, becoming Joy Fizz and uh, you know my name Stuart A. McKeever. That's the full name. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, on on the book and um, and they can acquire it that way mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I hope they do. Yeah, I hope so, too. Stuart McKeever, the author of Becoming Joy Fizz. Boy, it sounds like a fascinating read, along with your other things as well. I hope folks will take a look at those as well. You said you're working on a website, so be on the lookout for that in the days to come. Uh, but thanks for being with us today on the Author House Line. Thank you very much. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. 
Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today tackles a very important subject passing the torch without getting scorched, preserving your legacy with smart, successful planning. And our author joining me from Georgia is Lawrence M. Gold. Larry, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jay. It's good to be with you. Pleasure to visit with you. An important topic. What is your background? Why did this book get written? Well, I've been practicing law for a long, long time, over 45 years. And I do corporate and transactional work. And in the course of my career, I've been representing both family-owned businesses and public companies and lots of things in between. And one of the consistently difficult topics I've come up against throughout my career has been the subject of succession planning and how do businesses, both large and small, both plan for it and work it successfully and and in some cases don't work it successfully. And so I thought that it would be helpful because I could not find a comprehensive guide anywhere for an ordinary business person or business owner to have at his or her fingertips, so to speak, right. where they could go and get some basic information about succession planning and not be afraid of trying to tackle this very complex subject. So that's what I was thinking about, and that's why I wrote the book. One of the great things about your book, besides the title and uh, the contents, is that it's 128 pages. It's not a long read. Someone who is intimidated by the uh, by the legal process can uh, go into a chapter, for example, on management succession or ownership succession and how to bring it together, stocks and bonds and other things that are part of the business process. You talk in Chapter 1 about two people walk into a conference room. Sounds like the setup for a great joke. What is the story of that two people walking into a conference room? Well, you, you've come pretty close to it, actually, Jay. You, you know the old joke about two men walk into a bar and right. you have all the various things that happen from that. And because the subject of succession planning it involves so many different things, I thought it would be a good entree into the book to give people a more lighthearted and humorous approach to it with really some real-life scenarios that actually happen day-to-day as a way of getting them sort of immersed quickly into the subject uh, in a sort of interesting way, and they would get the idea that this is not a book written for lawyers, it's not a technical guide. It's not meant to be uh, a how-to-do-anything. It's really an overview. Uh, Of course, it's more than that, but it's really meant to be a comprehensive, holistic guide to succession planning, and I thought that introduction would be a a nice way of doing it in a soft fashion, so to speak. And it's an everyman's book, then, from your description. Absolutely. That's what it's intended for. Exactly right. You talk about five big mistakes, And those mistakes are no plan, number one. Uh, Delay, which is uh, part of the human 
nature process of uh, procrastinating, uh, then fits and starts. And what is the uh, fourth one? Do it right, then forget about it. What is that? Right. Was that refer- referring to? How would you suggest someone in business set up their their uh, business so that it doesn't run into difficulties at uh, at passing? Sure. Um, like most things uh, in business, when you tackle a difficult subject and you you deal with it, you tend to forget about it. It's done. I finished it. I'm going to move on to the next problem or the next challenge, the next opportunity. Succession planning, by its very nature, is a dynamic. It's an evolving subject. What you do now may not stand the test of time. Family dynamics can change. Business can change. Uh, management and ownership can change. Lots of things can happen that will alter the owner's, the business owner's thought process about what he or she wants to do. And so you have to keep in mind that this is a subject that you can't just do it once and forget about it. You've got to be periodically review it, and you've got to sort of from time to time say, well, is this still really what I want to do? Or the people I've thought of who I really want to come into the business and perhaps take it over really the ones I want, or maybe I need to think about it some more. So that's what that's meant to do. You can't just do it once and put it on the shelf and let it gather dust. That's not going to work. Well, Counselor, what was the process of writing your book? Have you had this in mind for a long time, or is this something that just cropped up recently and you decided, I need to write a book about this topic? Well, as anyone who's ever written a book can tell you, uh, and I had not written one before this, I might add, written articles but never a book, um, it's a difficult process for sure. And so it is something I've thought about for a long time. It took me uh, several months for the ideas to really kind of coalesce and how I wanted to approach it. Uh, And then, you know, the whole thing was, you know, a six or eight month process from start to finish. So it wasn't just a haphazard idea. I'm not very busy. Let me write a book. It was, I deal with this all the time. I have both friends and clients and colleagues who ask me questions about this from time to time. And so, and I was started reading more about it, I guess, because I was sensitive to the subject. More and more, I would read articles in in the Wall Street Journal or or other newspapers or magazines about problems with families, large and small, successful and not so successful, in having these issues. And I thought, well, maybe this is a topic that's worthy of a book. So I sat down and wrote it. In your experience as an attorney, is there one outstanding, um, I guess, event that you've discovered or that you have been involved with relating to the topic of your book? Well, maybe not just one, but a, a fairly consistent theme is as businesses mature and as owners of business age, uh, they start thinking more and more about what they're going to do with it. And the typical thought process of a business owner is, well, I'll either sell the business or I'll take it public um, or something will happen and make the decision for me and I don't have to worry about how to handle my family or how to handle my management team. Uh, It's going to sort of take care of itself in the long run. And so there's a tendency to avoid dealing with it with the notion or the hope that time will take care of everything and the decision will ultimately get made one way or the other. And someone once told me years ago, and I have it written in my office on a little plaque, hope is not a strategy. And it really isn't. And so 
um, I saw this happen more and more. And as a lawyer, what I would get brought into is where the situation was already broken. There was either litigation with between the family members or there was a dispute or there was a problem with management or the business was having real difficulties, didn't know which way to turn or the company was getting ready to have a liquidity event. It was getting ready to be sold or perhaps thinking about a, a, a public offering. And the owner of the business said, well, wait a minute. I, I don't really, this is not how I want this to turn out. I need to do something. And in some cases it's just too late. So I wanted to try and get people to start thinking about this process sooner and earlier in the life cycle of their businesses than waiting too long, because that's when lawyers have a field day and business owners tend, tend to spend much more money on lawyers and accountants and valuation experts and all kinds of people, advisors, than they really need to. So that was the notion. Being a small business owner is very difficult because you are not only trying to grow your business, but you're involved in the day-to-day operation, sometimes putting in 70 or 80, or some of them, I guess, would put in as much as 90 hours a week. One of your chapters gives the basic advice. Let's get started. What is that first step? I think the first step is recognition that you need to do it, Uh, that you need to think about succession planning in a way that's similar to how a business owner thinks of any other business issue or problem. What do I need to do to expand my markets? What do I need to do to hire and retain really uh, qualified and talented people? What do I need to do with a part of my business that may not be so successful? You, You need to devote the same attention and focus to succession planning that you do with that. And when you do that, if you do that, you realize that like any other problem, when you break it down into small digestible bites, it's, it is digestible and you can solve the problem and you can deal with it in a, in, in a holistic way and you can do it. Here's the important point, Jay. You can do it without making people mad at you. Mm-hmm. One of the things that a lot of business owners fear, I, I deal with this in my book a good bit, the fears of doing this. But one of the big fears is that if they tackle this problem of succession planning, they're going to make either their children angry or their spouse angry or their brothers or siblings angry if it's a family business or their customers or their senior management, all the constituents that affect or are involved with a business. The owner's going to think, oh, if I do this, I'm going to make somebody mad and I'm gonna, they're going to leave or I'm not going to be able to continue to be successful. And really the opposite is, in my experience, the opposite is the case. Most family members, most management people, most customers and suppliers to a business will be very grateful when the owner says, hey, I've really been thinking about succession planning and here's what we're going to do. They're very relieved as opposed to being upset. Some may be upset. Some may not like the way the succession plan is designed to work, but it's a plan and it's everyone has uh, comfort that what the outcome is going to be, how the business will succeed, how the porch will pass. And that creates stability. It creates comfort. It creates a a calming, it, it has a calming effect on the business, and it solves so many problems when you do it that way. You've made your work conversational in style, too, which I appreciate. It's it's something that is not overwrought with legal ease. Were there any 
challenges beyond that in getting this to print? Well, that was a big challenge, that was for sure, because I am a lawyer and I tend to want to write in the jargon of law, but I really had to force myself to stay away from that. The other challenge for me was to really try to keep it simple, not to get into too complex discussions or detailed discussions about any of these aspects of it, because each of them, you could write a book about almost any one of these chapters. But I was trying to make this both comprehensive and easy to understand, and when you boil it down or try to make it simple, uh, two things happen. First, you have to make sure you know what you're talking about, because you can't explain it simply if you don't. And secondly, it made me realize how I could try and focus on the important parts of this subject and not worry about a lot of the ancillary or tangential issues that tend to get people distracted. And this way I was hoping I could, I could make it work in a, in a simple, comprehensive way. And that was tough. That was very tough. Could you take a couple of paragraphs and introduce this book to my listeners and get them interested in getting a copy of Passing the Torch Without Getting Scorched? Sure. Well, I'll just open it up with, the, I'm opening it to Chapter 6, Ownership Succession, with the quote from Mark Twain. I have quotes at the beginning of each of my chapters, and this one is a quote from Mark Twain that says, Never put off until tomorrow, which you can do the day after tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so the chapter begins, The crux of ownership succession lies in the way a business owner wants his family, his employees, or others to acquire ownership of the business. If the owner doesn't want his family to own the business, then the issue becomes one of finding the best way to provide equity to a potential successor who is not a family member. That's the beginning of that chapter. I don't know how sexy that is, but uh, that's one chapter that sort of gives you a flavor for how it works. Well, for a business owner, that's an important topic that you've addressed. The title again is Passing the Torch Without Getting Scorched. Preserving Your Legacy with Smart Succession Planning. Our author, Lawrence M. Gold. Larry, where do we get copies of your book? Um, You can go online at authorhouse.com. You can get it through Barnes & Noble or Amazon. It's it's available in both e-books and hard or soft copy uh, at your local bookstore. Do you have a follow-up book that uh, may be in the works? I haven't. uh, I'm really still recovering from writing this one, Jay. Uh, I have thought about some other ideas, uh, but nothing yet that I'm ready to really talk about. Well, best of luck if that comes about in the future. Listeners, the title again is Passing the Torch Without Getting Scorched, our author, Lawrence M. Gold. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, very much. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.